Hi, everybody. I'm Grant Fishbook, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham. I want to thank you for accessing this online content. We're so glad that you've decided to watch this message today. And one of our values here at Christ the King is biblical community. And so I just want to encourage you uh, and remind you that while we are glad that you are accessing this content, this is absolutely no replacement for face-to-face biblical community wherever you happen to be. If you happen to be in our area, we would love to welcome you to any one of our five campuses. But if you're watching this somewhere else in the country or somewhere else in the world, I hope that you'll take the opportunity to find a biblical community where you can both give and receive as you continue your journey with Jesus. Well, this week we're gonna continue our series called The Invitation. Christmas is an amazing time of year. So we'd like to invite you to join the rest of the family here at Christ the King Church as we continue our new series, The Invitation. Jesus is teaching one of the most important messages of his entire ministry, and he's inviting people into a moment that's actually pretty weighty. It's not light stuff. It's not fluff. And I need you to get the picture so that you understand exactly how it would have worked. If you ever come to Israel with me, the the Sea of Galilee would have been at Jesus' back, and he would have been looking up kind of a natural amphitheater. There's a bowl there. It's, It's a grassy field. And There would have been hundreds of people there, skeptics and scholars, people who were trying to figure out who this Jesus guy was. And and he very quietly and calmly says these words to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then because Jesus knows what's going to happen to him in just... A a very short amount of time, he says this to you, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute from my namesake, and you should actually rejoice and be glad because if people pick on you for being a follower of me, great will your reward be in heaven. And then Jesus doesn't take his foot off the gas pedal for a second. He says, you're the salt of the earth, which means you're supposed to bring flavor into a world that, that just seems a little bit bland. And, and you're supposed to be the, the light of the world. Jesus says in different places, he's the light of the world. Then he says, you're the light of the world. So somehow in some uh, incredible supernatural way, the light that has invaded our life as Jesus has saved us and cleansed us and given us mercy we don't deserve is supposed to radiate out so other people can actually say, there's just something different about that person. And we all know it's not us. It's him. And then, I think, in my brain, 
Jesus started paying attention to a group of people that were standing off in the corner. They were the religious police of the day, known as the Pharisees. And, and he kind of looks at them out of the corner of his eye, and he begins to talk. And, and he, he actually melts everybody's brains in the next couple of moments. It was quite scandalous. This is basically what he said. He said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And everybody would have freaked out because like nobody can fulfill the law. It's just too big. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sits aside one of the least of these commands and teaches accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it almost seems like a compliment to the Pharisees, but the truth is, it's an indictment. Jesus is saying to this group of religious police, you guys think that your checkboxes are enough. You actually think you can fill the, the 600 plus rules that are in the Old Testament. You guys actually think you got a shot, but I hate to tell you, here's a problem. Your good is not good enough. It's just not good enough. And I picture in my mind as Jesus looks at this group of religious police in the back corner who think that they're the righteous of the righteous in the heart of my heart, I, I think Jesus pictured a face. I think he pictured his earthly father, a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph used to run in those circles. But here was the issue. The, the Pharisees enforced the rule of religion, but Jesus had an entirely different form of right living, and he'd seen it in his earthly father, a man by the name of Joseph who doesn't get much press other than the fact that he got to ride along with Mary on this crazy roller coaster. I've had a fascination with Joseph my whole ministry career. I preach about him every single year because I love his tension. I love his passion. I love his righteous decisions. I love that he doesn't do the easy thing. I love the fact that he represents a group of people. If you're a stepdad or a stepmom in the room today, number one, you're a hero. Number two, you get him. You get him. And if you've never heard Joseph's story before, let me unpack it for you. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's just a couple of verses, but let me tell you something, that's a scandal. That's a scandal. In fact, it's the perfect, perfect recipe for a scandal because it starts with a righteous man with a really good reputation. The Hebrew word for what Joseph was, was sadiq. I've said it here before. Sadiq. And Joseph was sadiq. And what it meant was he was known for his uncompromising obedience to the Torah, to the law of Moses. It meant this. Joseph ate the right kind of food and he hung out with the right kind of people and he would never dream to open the carpenter shop on Sabbath. You just wouldn't do that. Joseph followed the rules because he was Sadiq. That was his identity and he was respected because of his choice. He was elevated. He was revered. Just like every NBA player dreams of playing in an all-star game and every major league baseball player dreams of playing in an all-star game, every Israelite dreamed of being Sadiq. Holy and righteous. It meant you were admired, you were revered, 
And that was Joseph. But now all of a sudden, the righteous man's got a problem. He's got a pregnant fiance. Can you imagine that conversation? Mary comes to Joseph late in the evening. Joseph, I'm pregnant. You're what? <laughs> I'm pregnant. You're what? I'm pregnant. I haven't been with you. And I'm sure Joseph's like, oh, I know that. <laughs> and I haven't been with anybody else. An angel showed up and said, I'm full of grace. And Joseph, I'm sure, was, well, I know you're full of baby, and that's a problem for me. Maybe, maybe you are full of grace, but I don't know how to, how to reconcile this inside of my head. And then she presses in and says, and it's not yours and it's not anybody else's. It, it belongs to God, but not in a weird way. I can just picture Mary. I mean, Joseph, I know this is really hard to take in. It's a lot of stuff. But the angel said that people were actually going to rise up and call me blessed. And Joseph, being human, said, they're going to call you something, Mary, but it's not going to be blessed. All of a sudden, this man, known for his holiness and his rule-keeping, has a hard time thinking in his brain, how am I going to explain this to my friends? They know the rules. And we're not even done with the ingredients and the scandal. I mean, add on top of that, this is a small town where everybody knows everybody's business. Some of you live in a town like that. At this time, this little town, between history tells us, between 250 and 400 inhabitants, everybody knew everybody's business, and there wasn't much to do other than talk about everybody else's business. Some of you understand. And in that town, on top of it, there's a group of religious scorekeepers, Joseph's fellow Sadikim, that's what they would have been called, the brothers he studied with, the brothers that, that knew all the rules and knew that Joseph knew the rules and all of a sudden he's got a problem because the options for he and Mary, all of them make Joseph break out in a cold sweat. Here were Joseph's options. He could have gone with the Deuteronomy 22 option. It's not funny, but it's public execution for Mary. Deuteronomy 22, in your Bible, says this, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town will stone her to death. She's done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house, and you must purge this evil among you. And Joseph knew the rule. He's like, okay, let's not go with that option. He also knew the Numbers 5 option by heart. I'll be honest with you, Numbers 5, it's a little weird, just being honest. It says that if a husband suspected his wife of being unfaithful and she denied it, this is what he could do. He could take her to the priest, and Numbers 5.27 says that, that he would, the priest would make her drink what were known as the waters of bitterness, and if she had been unfaithful, according to the Bible, it says her abdomen would swell and her thighs would waste away and she would become accursed among her people. And I don't really know what to do with that verse. So I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> And if you think that's cowardly of me, you can preach next week. I'm just saying, okay? So, so there's the first two options, but Joseph's has got a problem. He loves her. He loves her. Like, I can't do that. There's another option that, he, that may have registered with him just a little bit. We talked about it in the Taboo series. He could have given her a certificate of divorce based on, on her adultery, but Joseph knew this. If he did that, he was still going to have to deal with the scandal, like who got Mary pregnant? 
There's a fourth option. It's on the table, but nobody would even be thinking about it by this time. It would have been an option of grace, sacrifice, obedience. Joseph never even thought about that. Not yet. In fact, if somebody would have said, you should choose the grace option, Joseph, Joseph's reaction would have been, that's crazy talk. There are rules and we need to keep them. I've been taught them my entire life. So Joseph's caught between a rock and a rock. Some of you know how that feels. So he makes a decision. I'm just going to salvage this situation. It's not optimal, but I'm going to, I'm going to exercise the regrettable permission based on her adultery. I'm going, to, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Now, the English language doesn't even come close to understanding or unpacking the tension that's in this this little section right here. And I could give you a Greek lesson. It would probably take about an hour to go through um, how these particular words are actually embodied in a Greek phrase called a circumstantial participle. And we could put all that stuff together because I know that would just bless some of you so much to actually go through that kind of stuff. But instead, I'm just going to tell you as best I can, my translation of this text, basically I would boil it down to this. Because Joseph was righteous, he didn't want to create a ruckus. Not for Mary. So he makes a decision, would have been a heartbreaking decision, to, to break a legal contract. We don't see engagement as marriage in our culture. In the Israelite culture, they did. Betrothal was a sacred contract between two families. It was a big, big deal. And to dissolve one of those was a big, big deal. But he sure, I'm sure, he would have just reasoned in his head, it'll allow me to keep a little bit of my reputation, but more important than that, Mary's still going to be alive. She's going to be stigmatized, but she's going to be alive. And I'm sure during the journey, he would have at some point just said, but I don't know what to do with the rules, right? Because it feels like something needs to be punished here. Why is it that we always feel like when it comes to the punishment of sin, that somehow God needs our help? His mind's made up, the agony's unbearable, the pressure's brutal. And then something happens to him. Same thing that happened to Mary, same thing that's going to happen to the shepherds, an angel shows up and completely messes with his life. Verse 20 says this, now notice the timeline, but after he had considered this, so he already made up his mind, after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I can just imagine him going, don't be afraid, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm going to lose everything. My reputation's going to be shot. I've spent 30 plus years building a reputation or 20 years or 16 years, depending on how old. We love to make Joseph older and wiser. Can I tell you something culturally? He's probably between 16 and 20 years old. Mary was probably about 14. We just like them older with a little bit of gray in the beard, right? Just so he can pull this kind of stuff off. But all of a sudden, he's like, that's crazy talk. And I got a question I'd like to ask on behalf of Joseph, a question that I think all of us run into. Why does God always wait until after we've made up our mind to throw in the option that he wants us to take? Has anybody else ever wondered that? I mean, why doesn't he just explain the whole thing on the front end? Why doesn't he give us a map and say, it's simple. Just do A, B, C, D, and E, and everything is going to go glorious for us. Does anybody else resent just a little bit that God never gives you a map for anything? It's just like, no, you need to trust me and follow. You know, why did he wait to explain it 
all the way to the end? Why didn't he relieve his anxiety? I only have one thing to suggest as to a reason. Could it be that God invites people into troubling times so that they have to choose a more righteous path instead of the easy one that seems to be right in front of them? Could it be possible you're here today like Joseph? You've done nothing wrong. According to the Bible, Joseph had done nothing wrong. And you've got this thing in front of you and you're confused and you don't know what to do. Could it be that that difficult circumstance is not punishment from God? Could it be just your most glorious opportunity to grow? I got one quiet amen. You don't sound convinced. John Ortberg said it this way, he goes, is it possible there's a ministry of disequilibrium that God is allowing to take place in Joseph's life so he'll come to a new era of growth? Is it possible in your life, maybe right now, even if you're confused or disoriented or uncertain about something, that maybe it's not because you've done something wrong, maybe it's because God wants you to grow? Could it be that you need to wait and trust on God just like Joseph did because what God has waiting for you is glorious. You just can't see it yet. So the angel shows up. Don't be afraid of losing your earthly reputation. Joseph, we're working on a whole new level of right here. You've been trained all your life with righteous decisions, but, but this is happening right now, and then comes the rest of it. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that conversation. I'll give you my spin on it. Joseph, God's coming. God's coming, and he's inside of the girl that you love right now, and that freaks you out, and that's okay, and he's going to show up, and he's going to fulfill all of the rules, and that's awesome, because you can't keep all of the rules, Joseph. Your good's just not good enough, but the good of Jesus is going to be more than good enough, because Jesus is going to come and save people from their sin and wipe the slate clean. God's coming, and you're going to get a front row seat to an option that you didn't even think about with Mary. He's going to teach you about grace and sacrifice and obedience. And he's going to do it in the craziest way because in order to give grace, Jesus is actually going to become a sacrifice and he's going to obey the will of his Father because that's what it's going to take to save every human being that Jesus loves. That's a crazy plan. And here's something crazier. Joseph says, okay, I'm down with that. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angels of the Lord had commanded him to. Apparently, Joseph is a morning person. He rolls out of bed. Obedience is the first thing on his mind. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And we read those verses, and we go, oh, so whatever. He, you know, they came home, signed a lease. Jesus shows up, and he gives him the name the angel said. We think so Western sometimes. In this culture, you need to understand what happened when Joseph took her home. He was legally receiving her as his bride in spite of the scandal. Everybody in town would have been talking about this. Did you hear what Joseph's going to do? Joseph's bringing her home. 
He says the baby's not his, but Joseph is bringing Mary home. It means the gossips would be gossiping and the bullies would be bullying and the religious police would have been exacting their distance away from Joseph. But Joseph knew this to be true and it's why he did what he did. Joseph would rather be a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. And he takes another step. Joseph actually named the child. It's like, so every kid needs a name. Grant, every parent does that. In this culture, it also meant he was legally claiming Jesus is his own. Oh, he has a father, all right. And I'm him. And she is my wife. And he is my son. And if you mess with them, you mess with me because we're family with a messed up story. Who doesn't have a messed up story with their family? I love this. Joseph connected himself to two people with stained reputations. And in doing so, he willfully stained his own reputation. Why? He loved them. It's a gorgeous story. And that decision would follow him for the rest of his life. Here's an example. The Bible tells us a piece of what the price that Joseph paid in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. There's a group of people following Jesus around, not baby Jesus, grown-up Jesus. And he's been preaching and teaching, and somebody shows up and they ask a question. Isn't this the son of Mary? Now, let me fill in what that actually means, because you go, that makes sense. Isn't Braden the son of Laurel? The answer would be yes. And in our Western culture, we wouldn't give it a second thought. But in his culture, even if the father is dead, sons were always addressed the same way. Jesus, son of Joseph. In their language, Jesus bar Joseph. To ask the question, isn't this the son of Mary? Ladies, please don't be offended. It was wrong. But to actually say that, isn't this the son of Mary? It was something about as close to a crude English phrase that we would use if we were to call somebody the son of a blank, and I won't fill it in for you. It's disrespectful, it's cruel, it's mean. All those years later, Joseph's reputation still hadn't been salvaged. And it means something to us. Being obedient cost Joseph everything. Everything. But he still knows, I did the right thing. I made the right choice. I decided to act righteously, even if the rules were called into question. And 30 years later, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees on a little grassy knoll down beside a sea. And he looks at them, and I'm sure in the back of his mind, he was thinking, you guys actually think that your rule keeping actually matters. Here's the problem with you. You should have met my dad. <laughs> my earthly dad. He so far exceeded you, it's not even funny. He chose grace. He chose love. He chose a reputation before God to supersede a reputation before men. You guys need to take a lesson from my papa. Joseph was awesome. But I think we need to say it. Joseph gave up reputation, status, and comfort. He gave it all up for the sake of love. 
Okay, I need you to take all of that. Okay? That's the introduction, okay? <laughs> Somebody said, oh no. <laughs> I'm kidding, all right? I'm kidding. Take all of that and just hold it in your heart because we've been talking about personal invitations, inviting people to Christmas services, not so we can have a full house, but so we can introduce them to Jesus. And it's a risk because if you invite them, here's what they might think about you. You might develop a reputation. They might think that you're a Bible thumper. They might think that you're a religious freak. They might think, oh, what a travesty that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's face it, fear might keep you mute and silent. Selfishness might keep you thinking, I got in, I'm, I'm good now. There's so many reasons why we might choose to say or do nothing, but I've got a question. After you look at the price that Joseph paid, have you thought at all about what it might mean to be a fool in the eyes of men, but not a fool in the eyes of God? So I got a simple question, it's all I got today. Will you choose to obey God's call to share his love even if it means that people don't look at you the same way? Amen. Are you willing to walk around Bellingham and Whatcom County and have people go, that guy's one of those nuts from Christ the King. <laughs> Will you choose a right and godly reputation over the approval of people? Will you choose the righteous act of inviting others into an encounter with Jesus even though it might cost you something? I'm just talking, I'm talking to the followers of Jesus now. We call ourselves Christians, right? Are we willing to be obedient or are we going to take a pass? Just like obedient to what, Grant? Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? How can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless somebody tells them? I did not make that up. That's Bible right there. That's God saying, you want to do this the right way? You should have met my dad. <laughs> he was awesome. So the question is, are we willing to be those kind of people, people like Joseph, for the simple sake that maybe somebody else would have an opportunity to meet Jesus face to face? The last time I checked... When we cross the finish line, we're not looking for Jesus to look at us and go, okay, did you make it unscathed? You got any marks at all? See, the last time I checked, when followers of Jesus stagger across the finish line, we're living for one thing. We want to hear one sentence. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You remember last week's story of the banquet? What were the servants doing? going out and compelling people to come in because the banquet is open to everybody. So followers of Jesus, that's your homework. And you can decide to obey or not to obey. That's the question. If you're here in the room today and you've never met Jesus before, I would love to just take a second and tell you about him. Because I know some of you are just like, I'd love to come to that party, but I, I got too much in my past. I got too many marks and, and, and scars, and 
I can relate to Mary. Nobody understood her. I don't feel like anybody relates to me either because I got all this baggage and all the rest of it. Can I tell, tell you something? Jesus is not intimidated by your mess. In fact, I would tell you something. Be very, very careful if you bring your mess to Jesus because the messier you are, the more the higher the probability becomes that you may actually become the pastor of this place. Just saying. <laughs> Jesus runs toward the messes. And he says, I've got a gift for you every Christmas called Amazing Grace. I want you to come and be a part of my family. I want you to see what it looks like on the inside of my family. I'd love someday for you to meet my earthly dad. His name was Joseph, and he did the right thing in the right moment, and it was really, really hard, but he didn't care about his reputation because he did everything he did out of love. Can I tell you something? If you're here today, you need to know this more than anything. Jesus died on a cross for you because of love. He paid a price so you could come to his party and be a part of his family, and we'd love to be a part of that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and I'm going to pray for courage for those of us that have already taken a pass on inviting because we're worried about what people might think. And I hope and pray that Joseph follows you around all week long. But I'm also going to pray, and for those of you who maybe feel like you've lost hope, only Jesus can bring you hope. And he would love to do that today. You know, there's a beautiful part of baptism. You guys do know the reason why we don't leave people under the water, right? <laughs> it's because that's only half the story. They go under the water to celebrate the death and the burial of Jesus. They come back up out of the water because Friday is when he died, but Sunday is when he lived. And I don't even have to wait till Easter to tell you about that. He did that so that he could offer you an invitation to be a part of his family. So let's talk about that invitation right now and pray about it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we close today? Jesus said, thank you that the baby of Christmas grew up. And he was righteous so that he could pay a price for us that we couldn't pay on our own. So God, right now in the quietness of this moment, I pray for courage over those who are followers of Jesus that they would open the doors to people this Christmas. That they would want so desperately for their friends and family to have the same grace and peace that Jesus has brought them. And I pray for courage. God, help us to be like Joseph was. And Lord, for those in the room who may not know you today, God, I pray right now in the quietness of this room and in the depth of their heart that they would simply pray. Jesus, I thought, I thought my good would be good enough. But today I recognize it's not. And I thank you that you are more than good enough. So God, right now I ask, would you forgive my sin you wash me as white as snow. God, I got a lot of stuff. But right now I ask that you would, that you'd wipe it all away because I accept your invitation. I don't deserve it, but I accept your invitation to become a part of your family 
and to experience grace, mercy, hope, and peace because of you. God, I don't care about my earthly reputation anymore. I'll spend the rest of my life serving you, loving you, and learning how to walk in the Jesus way. So God, I give myself to you because what else, would I, what else could I do on Christmas? Knowing you gave me the greatest gift of all. An invitation to be saved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Well, thank you again for watching. We're so glad you accessed this content online. I want to encourage you again to make sure you get connected in biblical community wherever you are. If you'd like to get more information about Christ the King Church, if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you'd like to give online, we'd encourage you to go to ctk.church. We hope to see you again really soon.